I'll be reading from Galatians 3, verses 26 to 29. So in Jesus Christ, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. For you are all one in Jesus Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Amen. Well, uh, we're continuing with our Galatians series. We're actually concluding it uh, tonight, the first part of it. We're going to conclude Galatians chapter 1 to 3, then uh, take a break, and then uh, resume 4, 5, and 6 towards the end of the year. Uh, well, it's more the middle of the year, sorry. Um, and so what I'm going to do this evening is give us a little bit of a recap. First, I have to give us a bit of an apology. Um, I'm not used to this screen, and so some of my slides are going to be a little bit small. Um, if you're wondering whether your eyesight is gone, and you're sitting at the back, and you're like, do I need to get a check? It's probably not you. It's just did a bad job on the, on the slides. Um, but we, we're going to conclude Galatians, and uh, we've, we've spent about eight weeks now going through Galatians chapters 1, 2, and 3, and, um, and I, I think that there's three really big things that we've learned uh, through Galatians, and I want to give us a little bit of an overview before getting into this specific passage. But the, the first thing that we learned was that the gospel is an event, we learned about the gospel events, that Paul, over and over again, refers to the death and the resurrection of Jesus being absolutely central to what we believe. Um, and so the gospel is an event. It's a historic event. It's the event of Jesus dying on the cross and rising again. It's the event that in a week's time, a million church, millions of churches all over the world are going to stop their usual kind of preaching series and are going to focus on the death and resurrection of Jesus. Some churches will have a huge amount of meetings next uh, weekend. We've only got two, but some will spend the whole weekend from Tenebrae services on the Thursday evening to Good Friday services to, serve, to some people have conferences over the whole weekend, Resurrection Sunday, and have a holiday on Monday from all of church. But um, it's, it's a big moment. It's the, mo it's the gospel event. And what Paul tells us, and what he tells us in Galatians, what he goes over and over again, is he tells us that Christianity is about an event. It's not so much about a culture. It's not so much about a prescribed set of rules. Um, often people ask, you know, like, why is Christianity all about uh, certain rules? Well, Christianity is not about certain rules. It is about an event that happened 2,000 years ago. It's about the death and resurrection of Jesus. And uh, as we've gone through the first three chapters, we, we've seen this. We see uh, Paul opens up and he says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. 
goes on and says, he who gave himself for our sins, gave himself, talking about the death of Jesus to rescue us from the present evil age. You foolish Galatians, Paul says, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. He's essentially saying, you foolish Galatians, why have you become distracted from what is really important? Why have you become distracted from the death and resurrection of Jesus? Why have you lost sight of the fact that Christianity is about an event? I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Paul is telling us that the death and resurrection of Jesus is absolutely central to understanding the Christian message. If you don't get that, if we lose sight of that, we lose sight of everything. That Jesus' death and resurrection is how we come to know and understand the beauty of God and His grace and His mercy towards His people. The gospel is an event. But the second thing that we learn is that the gospel is also a message. The very word gospel means good news. Good news. Um, when, when back in those days when they were talking about gospel, it was the word that would have been used for a herald riding into town to give a good message to the town. So you imagine someone riding on their horse, this is 2,000 years ago, so no cars or trains or anything like that. So they on their horse, they're riding into town. They want to tell the town that their kingdom has won the battle against the other kingdom. And the messenger would come in, and uh, he was the evangelist. He was the message taker of the gospel. He was the one that would proclaim the good news. Um, And the gospel is a message. It is the proclamation of a message. It is good news. It is not what some think good advice. Often we can think of the Christian message as good advice. It's like this wisdom that we learn on how to live better lives. I'm having a bad day. I'm not living a great life. The way I can order my life, the way I can get my life ready and in line and doing all the right things is I'm going to go to the scriptures and I'm going to learn how to live. It's good advice. What Paul tells us is the gospel is not good advice. It's good news. It's good news. It is the proclamation of an event that has taken place, and it is the proclamation of the meaning of that event towards us. Namely, that God now sees us with favor and grace, that our sins have been forgiven, not because of anything that we do, but because of what Christ has done. Because of the gospel message, we now receive God's favor and his forgiveness by grace, not by 
works, not by anything that we can do. In fact, Galatians is combating against a gospel of works. What Galatians is written for, the purpose of the writing of Galatians, is to combat against this idea of a gospel of works. So what Paul is essentially saying to the Galatian church is he's saying this, he's saying, listen, I know you all believe in the gospel event, but you've kind of missed the significance of it because you believe this, hey, Jesus died for my sins, and if I do a whole bunch of good things, then I will be forgiven. It's like this, this and my effort, Jesus's death and my works results in my favor with God, my forgiveness with God. What the gospel message is, is that it's Jesus plus nothing of us, that it's all what God has done. In fact, what Paul says is that if we get that wrong, we miss the message entirely. Galatians 1 verse 6 says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ, the free gift of Christ, and are turning to a different gospel, which really is no gospel at all. To get it wrong is to get it wrong entirely. To miss the fact that God saves us, rescues us, gives us his favor, forgives us of our sins completely and utterly and only because of his grace. To miss that is to miss it entirely. Galatians 2 says that a person is not justified by the works of the law but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified, justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one, no one will be justified. John Stott says this, the true gospel is in its essence what Paul called it in Acts 20 verse 24, the gospel of the grace of God. It is good news of a God who is gracious to undeserving sinners. In grace, he gave his son to die for us. In grace, he called us to himself. In grace, he justifies us when we believe. All is from God as Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.18, meaning that all is of grace. Nothing is due to our efforts, merits, or works. Everything in salvation is due to the grace of God. The gospel is an event, but it's not just the event. It's the proclamation of that event and its meaning towards us, that we are saved and justified by God's gracious act, not by our own efforts. We do not find favor with God because we are good people. I'm a good person. I do, you know, I do all the kind of right things. There's some things I don't do that great, but, you know, for the most part, I'm just really, really good. Um, but... As Paul goes on in Galatians 3, when we measure ourselves up against God's law, against God's standards, all of us fall short and find ourselves in need of mercy. And it is in Christ alone that we find that 
mercy. And what the gospel message does is it gives us a new identity. It gives us a gospel identity. And uh, you may remember early in this series, if uh, uh, you've been with us, if you haven't, I'll try and retell the story um, here. But the gospel gives us a new identity. And um, a guy called Andrew Wilson, he opens, uh, he does a kind of like overview of Galatians. And in his overview of Galatians, he says this, he says, there's something fascinating about Christianity. One of the fascinating things is that if you go anywhere in the world, the chances are that Christians will be different from each other. They will dress different. They will look different. They may even worship in slightly different forms or or manners. The the songs that they sing will be different. The musical instruments they use will be different. Um, Christianity is incredibly diverse. Um, But when you go and maybe you go and look at Muslims or Islam around the world and you see that everyone dresses the same. Worship is done in the same way. If you do that with Mormons, you see around the world, Mormons all dress the same. They practice, their their practice of worship is the same. And you can go on. Why is Christianity so diverse? And yet, most of other religions around the world are very uniform. And he says it's because of this idea that Christianity is an event. It is a message. It is not a culture. It is not a prescribed set of rules, but it does give us a new identity. It shapes how we see ourselves and we see those around us. Um, What we see is Paul in chapter 2, he's telling a narrative, he's telling a story. He's telling a story of taking the gospel, uh, of going to the apostles in Jerusalem and then telling the story of him rebuking Peter. And that story revolves around two people. It revolves around a, a Gentile Greek guy called Titus, and it revolves around the kind of Jewish head honcho of the church, Peter. Um, and, and what happens is, don't worry, some of you got a fright, it's okay, it's okay, it's just a glass. But, but what happens is, is what we learn is that Titus is going into the stronghold of Judaism at that time, and he is not going to get circumcised. And the reason why is because Paul is fighting for this fact that actually in Christ we are free from needing to appropriate the Jewish culture onto ourselves. Um, And he fights for that. But then when it comes to Peter, he fights Peter. He rebukes Peter and he says, hey, Peter, I think you've missed the idea of the gospel. You've missed the fact that we are saved by grace. I think you think that because you're a Jew, you think you're better than everyone else. Why? Because when Peter, it says in Galatians 2, he began to separate himself from the Gentiles. Um, And what does Paul do? He says he when he saw that, they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. He said to, 
Cephas, or Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile, not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? What we learn is that Christianity allows us to be diverse but equal, that there are no second-rate citizens in the kingdom. There are no second-rate citizens in the kingdom. We don't just have a a new communal identity. We have a new personal identity in Christ. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We have a new personal identity in Christ. And we have a new communal identity. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, there, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs to the promise. The gospel is an event. It is the proclamation of that event, and it is a new identity to the people who have believed in that event. But I just want to give us a few closing points on Galatians 1 to 3 based on this verse that Heather read, the verses that Heather read, and they're around social identity. Um, So social identity is uh, a person's sense of who they are based on their group membership, Dr. McLeod says, uh, a sociologist. Social identity is a person's sense of who they are based on their group membership. The three kind of like primary social identities that we understand are race, gender, and class. They generally are are the ones that most people understand. So, for example, I'm a white, middle-class male, um, and that is one of the ways that we kind of understand who we are through social identity. It's one of the things that Paul is picking up on in this passage um, where he says, you know, that there is neither Jew nor Gentile, Uh, It's neither slave nor free, male nor female. He's picking up on the three social identities, race, gender, and class. And I I know like kind of uh, in today's age, we could add a few more to that. I'm not going to because these are the three that... Paul primarily picks up on, but today's day and age, it's, it's not just those three that are important, it's sexual orientation, so think of how big LGBTQI is uh, um, and, and that in our society, um, so, so that we also think about how often when you meet someone, you ask them what they do, so work and profession has become a big kind of uh, construct of how we understand who we are according to our group membership. I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, I am a mechanic, I am, you know, something of our work, and there's a number of those. And, but what social identities do is they create who's in and who's out circles, 
they create who's in and who's out. So if I'm a male, like, you know, we're all the guys and the girls, and like, you have to be a guy to be part of this group, but they create in and out. But one of the things that we learn is those in and outs create a whole bunch of difficulties in society. South Africa has that. We've got a long history of the oppression of whole groups of people based on these social identities. Um, and, and I myself have seen how social identities can benefit or discriminate others, that we use them as measures to define who we think is in and who we think is out. But we don't just use them to define who we think is in and out. We use them to define who we think is valuable and who we think is not. We use social identities to measure that kind of thing. And uh, I, when, when I was going to varsity and this is me and my white privilege speaking here, so please forgive me and for, forgive the story. I hope it doesn't make you too angry. Um, but I realized white privilege when I went to varsity. I'd applied late. I'd applied the week before varsity starts. Not a good thing to do. But I applied the week before varsity starts. I put in my application. I phoned them up and said, hey, I've just submitted my application. Am I in? And the person on the phone said, just wait one second. And I heard them shout this, white male, 40 points, do we have a space? Um, and what happened there is my gender, my race, created a social identity of privilege. Was it right? No. But we see this so often. We see how these constructs, these ideas of social identities create favor or discrimination. They create entry into spaces or non-entry into spaces, whether sometimes it's because people are rich or sometimes because people are a specific race or sometimes because people are a specific gender. We have ins and outs. We create systems of discrimination. What? we see here at the end of Galatians is we see a new social identity that Paul is talking about. It's a social identity of being in Christ, of being in Christ, that as we are in Christ, we have a new way of understanding who we are. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have closed yourselves with Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Paul is creating a new social identity. It's those who are in Christ. That as we are in Christ, we have a new way of understanding who we are. Of understanding people around us. We have it in Christ. And it's an inclusive social identity. It's this identity, as Paul uses the word over and over again, he says, for in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you 
who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. For if you belong to Christ, and now he's still talking about the collective, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. It's inclusive. All who believe in Christ are all included in this new identity of being in Jesus. It is an inclusive uh, social identity. But it's also a primary and ultimate social identity. So what Paul is saying is Paul is saying this is that in Christ becomes all the all-encompassing uh, social identity. That when we are in Christ, it becomes the social identity that is above all other social identities. It is the primary one in which to understand ourselves and God's people, that we are in Christ. There is neither, what he goes on to say, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free, male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. What, what is Paul saying here? Paul, Paul is saying this. He's saying, you know, all these other social constructs of understanding who we are and how we relate to the people around us, all these other social constructs in which we understand who is in and out in Christ fall away. For we are in Christ all united, all one. It becomes the primary um, way in which we understand ourselves and the Christian community. That's, um, and Paul was talking in a day where gender discrimination would have been huge. He's arguing against uh, uh, the discrimination of Gentiles with, with in the the church. He's argued for the acceptance and the um, um, the effort and the work towards the poor who are in the community of God. What Paul is doing, he's arguing for an inclusive community which is defined by Christ. I think we it would be fair to say um, that many of us have seen in the Christian community, we've seen how different social identities can affect how we relate with one another. Whether it's gender discrimination, whether it's racial discrimination, whether it's class discrimination. Some churches have specific seats for, you know, like if you've given so much money, you get your own kind of pew, you know. Like, uh, I know... It sounds funny, and you're like, no, that never happens. But it does happen. There are, are Paul, I, James talks about it in James, of how people had created these systems within the church in which the rich would be favored, or which the men would be favored, or which Jews would be favored. We create, often we can find that in the church there is no overarching identity of in Christ. We still use these other ways of understanding each other to discriminate within our own body. But Paul is saying that in Christ we have a new identity. It becomes our primary and ultimate identity that we are all included all one, all equal in Christ. There is no second-rate citizens. 
And then there's one more. I think it should come up. We have a diverse social identity. I put that question colorblind, uh, not for Mikey, because Mikey genuinely is colorblind. Uh, he can't see certain colors. But I, I, don't, I don't know if you've ever heard this. I, I've heard this. Um, sorry, this is no uh, dig at my fellow white mates, but it's often white people who say this when they're trying to defend their own racial discrimination. They say, I don't see color. I'm colorblind, you know, like <laughs> stupid statement. But um, is, is that true? Is that what Paul is arguing for? I don't think that's what Paul is arguing for in this passage. What Paul clearly states in chapter 2 is that Jewish and Gentile culture is different and that they are free to practice their own kind of culture when, when it's in line with the gospel. He argues at different points for how diverse and different male and females are, how uh, rich and poor um, have, have their own contributions to make uh, to the community. He argues for how different people bring diversity and richness to the kingdom of God. In Revelations, it says that one day, people from every tribe, nation, and tongue will worship Jesus together, that there will be this plethora of ethnicity and race and diversity of people worshiping God in, the, in heaven. Is Paul arguing for this kind of colorblindness when he argues for a primary and ultimate social identity in Christ? I don't think he is. I think Paul is encouraging diversity, encouraging the, the, the color that our different cultures and genders and classes bring to the community that one day all of us in all of our diversity will be together with Christ, worshiping him in our diversity. That in the gospel, we have a new identity, an inclusive identity, an identity that frames who we really are and who the community is, but not one that smothers and destroys our own personal identities. The kingdom still allow, it allows for the diversity of who we are while giving us a new framework for understanding of who is in and who is out. A new framework of understanding who is valued and who is not. That in Christ, we are all equal. There are no second-rate citizens. What we see over and over in Galatians, as I conclude now, what we see over and over in Galatians is that Paul in Galatians 1 and 2, tells us that the gospel is an event and it's the proclamation of that event and that we are saved by grace and that whenever the gospel takes root in our hearts, it changes how we see each other. It changes how we relate to those who are different to us. In Galatians 3, Paul does that again, just more theological, where he tells about the gospel event, who has bewitched you. Then he tells about the covenant and promise, the message that we are saved 
by faith, by grace through faith. And then at the end, tells about how this impacts how we see and relate to one another. I think what's happened in South Africa over the years is South Africa used to be united by a united vision that, uh, you know, that, that was brought the rainbow nation. Um, and uh, uh, we know Mandela was a champion of that. And that vision has, for one reason or another, been destroyed. We're no longer united by that. We don't have anything that brings us together. But in the church, that should be different because our identity, our primary identity, how we see those who have value or don't have value, how we see people is based on Christ. That in Christ, we are all one. I'll finish with this. In the cross, grace is found that sets me free to love my brother who is different to me. In the resurrection, life is given that makes me new, forgiven, righteous, and holy. In the gospel, a community is formed, diverse, united, equal, and free. Can we stand? I'll pray. Lord, I pray for us as a community. Not just a community, a community of believers in an East African port city called Durban, living in a country that is divided, struggling with economic inequality, racial tension, the challenges of corruption, and we could go on about the many challenges we face. But in the city, there are people all over the city and people here at Harbor City tonight who are united because of Christ, who are together because of a new identity that has been given because of your work and because of your message. And I pray, Lord, for for us as Harbor City community, and I pray for the visitors who are here tonight. I pray, Lord, that you would stir our hearts with the gospel message that will begin to change our eyes and how we see those around us. I pray, Lord, that your gospel would begin to break down our, our defenses and our discriminations and our things that we use to constantly divide us. And I pray that the gospel would give us new eyes, the eyes of Christ to bring us together united in Jesus. I thank you for Galatians, the book of Galatians, and how in it we are reminded that we have nothing to bring to the table, that you have given it all to us by your grace. And as we do that, Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would be humbled and yet confident, that we would be grateful, that we would be stirred 
to love you and to love our neighbor, as we'll see later in the book. But I pray, God, for your hand upon us as a church, your hand upon us as a community. I pray, Lord, that you would shape us into a a diverse, unified, Amen. Thank you for being here. To our visitors, it's so good to have you here. I know we've got some eats, and I think the cappuccino machine will still be on, so there will be some drinks and, and eats. Please